0: If you would like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at citychurchfriscoorg slash give. Thank you for listening. We are talking about how, how you and I, we like comfort. One of the things that when I walked in just uh, at around two o'clock, I was asking Brother Angel, I said, does it feel good in the room? Is it kind of hot or you think it's going to get hot as, as, as everyone shows up? And we're, we're looking for comfort. We're looking to feel good. We're looking to, to be in a place where there's no awkwardness, where there is nothing that, that makes us feel like, oh, man, we're going to go there. We're going to talk about that. We're going to, 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 to bring that subject up again. We, as human beings, do not like to be put on the spot. The number one fear of, of, of most people... Is exactly what I'm doing right now, public speaking. Prepare a speech. Deliver it to, even if it's just 20 people. I don't know if you took a speech class in high school and you're ready to present. Some people have this gift, but generally speaking, most people get a little nervous. Heart starts pumping and knees start shaking a little bit. We do not like to be put on the spot, we don't want to be uncomfortable, we want to feel that, that things are good around us, we want the air conditioning turned on, we want, uh, we want to sometimes slip into anonymity, uh, no, to be anonymous, and to be in a place where no one notices us, no one looks at us, no one speaks about us in a wrong way, and when we're with our friends, we want our friends to treat us right, right, this is, just, is this true or is this, or is this just me, this is true, we want to be comfortable. We don't like discomfort in our lives. We avoid public speaking. We Introverts, we don't like being in big crowds. I don't like going to the mall on a Saturday evening around Christmas time. <laughs> Extroverts, they, they don't like when, when no one can talk. They don't like going to the library because they want to keep talking. <laughs> And there are people that we may think are kind of weird, and we're like, oh, oh man, he's going to come, and I hope he doesn't sit next to me. I hope she doesn't sit. We're Christians. We don't think like that, right? That's not us. That's not you guys. That's, that's another place down the road. I don't know. The whole point is we don't like discomfort. We don't. But see, our, the faith that you and I have, our Christianity the calling of God in our lives. The calling when when you give out this card, even this this card. It's amazing how uncomfortable that you can feel when you're inviting someone to church. Oh, they're gonna think they're gonna think differently about me. They're gonna be like, oh, "Oh, you're one of those. You're 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 a you're a Christian, and and you this and you that." And everyone has a some presuppositions about us as Christians. But the calling that God has put in our lives calls us to anything but to be comfortable. The Christian faith, we must understand, calls us to the foot of a cross. And for the most part, we have a basic or a good grasp on what the cross means in our lives. That Jesus was born and he knew no sin as he lived. He lived a life that was perfect. He lived a life that was not, not like our lives where we make mistakes and, and we can't seem to keep our heart in control, our emotions in check. Jesus lived the life that you and I couldn't live. But yet even in his perfection, even in the life that he lived, he willingly went to a cross as a ransom for the sins of our lives. For the sins in our hearts, for the sins in our family, for the sins uh, that we commit today, that we commit in the future. I mean, we, we sing about the cross. And we talk about the cross and, and it's amazing how when we sing, we, we, we begin to realize and we understand what the cross means. But I think that as a Western civilization, and what I mean is that we're not in the Middle Eastern world and we're not in, in, in uh, surrounded by some, some difficulties in life that we take for granted at times, the comforts that we have, we sometimes forget the true meaning of the cross. I mean, I understand that's what, what happened uh, so that I can have salvation. I understand that Jesus died. We get that. We understand that. But we sometimes gloss over it and we move right next to, to the next item of, of the salvation that God has given us. And the forgiveness that God offers us. But we don't remember or we don't focus on what the cross truly means. We sing about it, and we can sing all day about the cross. Sing songs like "At the Cross, At the Cross," where I finally saw the light. We sing cross words like songs like "The Old Rugged Cross." I was gonna sing it, but I've decided not to. I'm gonna, for, I'm gonna, I have grace over you guys, okay? And we sing songs like "The Old Rugged Cross," how we cherish the cross. How we love the cross and that how one day I will carry my cross and I will lay down everything I have. I will lay down my cross and one day I will receive an eternal crown and all that is beautiful and all that is true. But we have to understand that the cross calls us to some uncomfort, to some discomfort in our lives. There is a a discomfort that comes with the sacrifice that the Christian faith asks us to make. In Mark chapter 8, I'm gonna invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8, verse 27 and 30, uh, we see this, uh, we see this narrative of, of Jesus being with his disciples. Jesus begins to ask his disciples, who do people say I am? Well, some say you're a prophet, some say you're Elijah, some say this, some say that. But okay, that's great, that's great that they say that, but who do you say I am? And Peter stands up and he says, oh Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And and we're reading in Mark, but in Matthew, Jesus responds to Peter's declaration of him being the Messiah and says... No one, has the, no one has revealed this to you, Peter, but only God from heaven, my Father, has revealed to you this. And Jesus confirms, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am the Christ. And he begins to teach him in verse 31 and verse, through verses 33 that Jesus says that he will be killed, but that he will rise again. And there's a disconnect at that moment. Because what happens next is that Peter takes Jesus to the side and says, Wait, Jesus, hold up. Tap the brakes. We were doing so good when we were talking about you being the Messiah. I mean, you had the people up here. We were were ready to run through a wall for you. We were ready to take over Rome. We were ready to, to cause a revolution because you are the Messiah but then you had to bring everything down. And what are you talking about, Jesus? You're saying you're going to die? You're saying that the Messiah has to suffer many things at the hands of men? What is this business? And Peter, the Bible says that Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. How about that, huh? Jesus had just praised Peter and said, you know, This is a revelation straight from God, Peter. Actually, his name was Simon. And in that moment when God revealed to Simon that that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus tells him, Simon, you are blessed. You have received a revelation. And I even tell you that your name is no longer Simon, but your name is now Peter, which is a rock that is firm, that is strong. And my, how things change from one minute to the next. Isn't that our lives sometimes? That we are riding a high. Things are going so well. Things are going so good. And it's like nothing can stop the momentum. Nothing can stop the the train from going. And then all of a sudden, there's a crash. Something happens that brings down the emotion. Something happens that brings down an entire room, and, and this is what Jesus did. I said, That's, Jesus said, That's great. God revealed that to you, but it is necessary that the Messiah would die. And it's, it appears that they stopped listening at die because Jesus said that it is necessary for me to die, but I will rise again in three days. They missed that part. Peter rebukes Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus turned. I don't know. I guess he had been pulled to the side by Peter. He was, Peter was about to give Jesus a lesson. And Jesus is looking at Peter, turns and looks at his disciples. And then looks at Peter and says, doesn't even call Peter, Peter. He just got his name changed. I mean, he was already getting the certificate changed and everything. And calls him and says, Satan, get thee behind me. Because your only concern are human concerns and not those concerns of God. And how many times in our lives are we called to an uncomfortable situation? Things are going well and then all of a sudden there is a crash. There is something we didn't expect. There is something that happens that, that doesn't sit well with us. And we go from being excited, from riding that emotional roller coaster and being up high on the valley, and then you're just holding on for dear life as you go over the hill. He says, You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And this leads up to uh, eight, chapter 8, verse 34, where this is our text for today. Then he called the crowds. To him. So not only was it enough to have Peter, not only was it enough to have the disciples, he calls in the crowd that's been following. Hey guys, this is important. I need you to listen to this. Whoever, listen, if you have it, you can read it up here. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. We have to understand that the cross is a grisly business. That the cross is something very gruesome. At the center of our faith, church, at the center of the Christian's faith is the cross. And the cross is an execution device. Jesus tells his disciples, he tells the crowd, he tells the people around and says, you got to take up your cross. I, I, I wish I had been there. I, I, I don't know how I would have reacted if I was in their situation. Because for the most part, American Christianity, that's us. For the most part, we've reduced the cross to something that people hang around their neck. We we decorate our, our, our places of worship with crosses. There's a cross right outside on this outside of this wall, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not. It doesn't to me. It doesn't affect me one way or the other. But we get so desensitized about what the cross truly means because we see it in every. We put it on coffee mugs. We put it on pillows. We put it on promotional things, and, and we don't remember. We don't understand that there was a barbarity about the cross. Praise the Lord, church. There There is a nasty business about the cross. We sometimes don't capture that. We don't understand that. But I'm going to tell you that Jesus' listeners at that time, his audience, when he said, it is necessary for you to deny yourself, Take up your cross. I can imagine if you're sitting in that crowd when Jesus mentions the, the, the word cross, that a murmuring begins. <coughs> what does this mean? Did he say a cross? Wait a minute. Wait, he's, he's healing people. He's causing life change. He's offering forgiveness. He's telling the adulteress to, to, to go and sin no more. He's telling uh, the, the beggars, and he, after he heals them, that their, their sins are forgiving. And now, what is he talking about? He's talking about a, did I hear that right? He's talking about a cross? A method of execution? See, to the crowds, this would have been very confusing. Because for them, they saw the cross daily, weekly. They would walk by the execution grounds and they would see crosses. Jesus wasn't the first person ever to be crucified. And he wasn't the last. They would walk by the execution place. And they would see prisoners. They would see thieves. They would see bad people hanging on crosses, suffering, shamed degraded as human beings. And now Jesus is saying that I have to carry a cross? The author Fleming Rutledge said this, what would it have been like in Palestine and in the wider Roman Empire to see a crucifixion or to hear it being discussed? How difficult it is for us to grasp this There is nothing in America today to which we can compare it. Crucifixion was specifically designed to be the ultimate insult to personal dignity. The last word in humiliating and dehumanizing treatment, degradation was the whole point. Sometimes we miss this. We don't understand this. That the cross was not a good thing. That the cross was something horrible that was being represented when Jesus said you must take up your cross. Well, we got to understand that when Jesus says you got to take up your cross, Jesus is saying that following me means that you're denying ourselves, you're denying yourself, and you got to take up your own cross. We deny the things that we want. We deny the things that we feel are praise worthy. We deny the things that we selfishly desire at times. We often think of the cross as a as being a martyr, to being persecuted, which is which happens still today in this world. We've been blessed that we live here, that we can gather at a church, we can gather at a building, and that we can worship, we can have Bible verses on a projector, we can sing songs about the cross, we can sing songs about our faith, we can sing songs about God. We are very blessed church. Can you give God a hand for that? That we have this freedom? But if you go to the other side of the world, there are people, millions of people that don't have the freedoms that you and I enjoy. And though we may not be martyrs one day, and though we may not suffer persecution like the first, the early church did or like people across the, uh, across on the other side of the world are suffering today, though we may not live through that. We should ponder those things and prepare our hearts in case we ever, have, we ever have to suffer through that. But the reality is that our cross, the thing that we have to carry in our lives, is not necessarily that extreme sacrifice of giving up our lives. But nonetheless, the denial of ourselves becomes as difficult as losing our life. Now this is, this is challenging. Because denying myself implies that my will dies before his will. My desires, my things that I want to satisfy myself with means that those things will die when I come before God. My my will gives way to the will of God. I know Longer live for myself. Another way of saying this is that following Jesus means putting aside our desire to be the God of our own lives and allowing Jesus to reign supreme in us. To remain supreme. To reign supreme in us. See, Jesus paid it all. He went to that cross for you, He went to that cross for me. He went as a ransom. There was a great divide that we couldn't cross. As human beings, as sinners, as the Bible says, because the Bible is very clear when, he says that the, that when Paul says that the wages of sin are death. This makes us uncomfortable. We're all here kind of like, I don't know what to say. Should I clap? Should I be okay with this? This is not exactly what I possibly thought we'd be talking about today. And it does make us uncomfortable because our culture is one of self-reliance. Isn't that the American dream? You work hard, you put in the time, you show up, you do your job, and you're rewarded. You'll move ahead in life. You'll be able to purchase that thing you wanted to purchase. You're able to gather up those possessions that you want to gather up. We don't want a grace that makes us relinquish our sovereignty. We want a grace that is easy and comfortable. Not a grace that challenges us to live a life for Jesus. Sometimes we want a grace that will forgive us. But that Doesn't require repentance. We want a grace that doesn't require a cross, but this is not what the cross comes to do. The cross comes to kill the mecentrity, the I, the ego. And it does not allow us to bend the truths in the Bible. It doesn't allow us to bend certain things so that it can fit within my own theology, within my own beliefs, within my own views. And the truth is that we would rather work. Pastor, I would rather you tell me I need to pray more. I would rather you tell me that I need to fast a few more days and then I'll be all right. Because then I'm in control. I would rather you tell me, Pastor, that, that, that there's something that I can do to make myself right before God. And the cross tells us that all we can do is to deny ourselves, put our faith in Jesus. Because, see, the problem is that when it's about how much can I pray, how much can I fast, the problem is that there's still I in the middle of it. What can I do? There must be something to cross that divide. There must be, and I've used this example before. I'll use it again. Back in, I can't remember what year, it was in the 70s, now that we're doing the Winter Olympics, but in the Summer Olympics, there was a a man by the name of Carl Lewis, I think we've all at least heard the name. He set the record for the long jump. I don't remember the exact amount of feet, but it was 28 feet and something inches. Now, 28 feet is a, from that wall to that wall, maybe even a little more. That's, I've measured it out, and, I, and I've marked it out before, and it's pretty long. It's a big jump. I will tell you right now that I can train for the next five years. I can work hard for the next five years. I can follow a strict Diet, I can follow a strict physical regimen and train to make this jump. But in five years, if I give my all to this, I promise you I'm not making that jump still. It's not within my genes. It's not within my, uh, it's not me. I mean, I'm pretty athletic. I I don't need to tell you that, right? You guys can see that. But I just wouldn't make the jump. There's a reason there's only been... Two or three people that have been able to jump 28 feet. It's next to impossible. There's nothing that you and I can do to make God love us or to make God even fall out of love from us. He did it all for you. And this is where we struggle. You mean I don't have to... I don't have to pray more. Well, I'm not saying you don't have to pray. What I'm saying is that you're not praying for your salvation. You're praying that God, because you want to have a relationship with God. I'm not saying you're not fasting anymore. You should fast. You should read your Bible. You should do all those things. But you do it out of love for God because you realize that he made the jump that you couldn't make. Because you realize that without him, We wouldn't have an opportunity. There's nothing that you can do that will make God love you more or God love you less. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were still far from God. We still didn't know God. We still didn't want anything to do with God. But even through all that, Christ died for us. See, Jesus says we have to deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross and follow him. And in verse 35, Jesus goes on to say, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is the power that we have in our hands, church. This preaching of the gospel. We talked last week that Jesus was a stumbling block, and people stumble over the fact that that Jesus is the one that did it all for us. And Jesus comes and he says that you can't, you gotta give up your life, you gotta lose it. And when you lose it and you give yourself up for the gospel, that's when you save your life. So when I die to myself and I live for Jesus, Then I regained my life. For those who come to faith in Jesus, the cross is no longer a grisly, no longer a gruesome symbol of shame. The cross becomes victory. The cross becomes a symbol of hope. The cross becomes a symbol of joy. The cross becomes a symbol for us to gather and to give God the praise, to give God the glory because, church, Jesus' victory is our victory. Jesus shares his victory with us, Jesus shares his victory with those who put their faith in him. The Bible says that we're more than conquerors, the Bible says that we are victorious. The cross delivers us from our sin to a life of hope. It sets us free. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and I'll close with this verse. "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. See, people listen to this message about the cross, and they're like, "Ah, I, I don't think I get it." I'm not going to accept that. It seems to, that's outlandish. That in order for me to live, I have to die. What kind of of talk is that? I, I don't get it. It's just too, it's something that I don't want to accept. It's something that's difficult. That's what Jesus, this is what Paul is saying, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, It is the power. Everyone say power. Power. It is the power of God. I'm going to ask you to stand today. Where have you refused to die? What area in your life have you refused to give over to Jesus? What is God... What has God been asking you to do? I think that when we all come before the presence of God and we come to the foot of the cross, that we are immediately quickened. We are immediately brought to the place that we don't want to look at, that we don't want to even discuss. But the Bible says... For those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And if you want God's power in your life, the power over sin, the power over those things that you keep falling into day in and day out, the power over you changing your life to to better serve God, to better serve your family, to better serve the the, the people around you, to to be able to better reach those who need Jesus. That means we need to embrace the discomfort of the cross and realize that there are things that we still need to address in our own hearts, in our own lives. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads. We're going to pray. Father, we come before you at this moment. We come before you just realizing, Lord, The great need that is within us to embrace the cross, to embrace you. We come before you, Lord, just with great humility, trembling before your presence, realizing, God, how much we need more of you in our lives. We realize, God, that this cross is an invitation for us to come before your presence, to lay down our lives, to take up your life, to take up your gospel, and to live a life, to live a life for you. And some of us, we find ourselves in different places today. Some of us, we're having a difficult time in our marriage. Some of us are having a difficult time with our family. Some of us are having a difficult time at work. Some of us are having a difficult time, Lord, just with our daily relationship with others. But, Lord, we know that when we come before your presence, all things are made new. All things can change. And today, Lord, we come to the foot of the cross. We lay ourselves down. And we give our lives to you. We thank you, God, because you're so...